The Unhealthy Scratch Podcast. All right, and welcome to another edition of the Unhealthy Scratch Podcast here in the virtual Zoom studio. We've got myself, and we've got the dude, Sonny D, and we've got the Red Sox with a 3-1 lead in the AL wildcard game here right now. I'm trying to catch that. I feel like I don't want to be a mush. They were up 3 nothing when I went over into the den to start recording this, and then immediately they gave up a run, a home run to Rizzo. So I feel like I'm becoming a mush by doing the podcast. <laughs> But it has to be done. What's up, Sonny? Not too much. Not too much. I was just checking the score in that game, too, because I knew Boston was up 3 up, and I was like, oh, have they put uh, the Yankees out of their misery? But not today. Not today. It's still early, but it looks good right now. But, uh, yeah, we are the Unhealthy Scratch Podcast. Myself and the dude, Sonny D, no spike this uh, week. But we are going to preview the Western Conference. And uh, with the start of the NHL season here coming up, very, very shortly. I am very excited. If you didn't catch our Eastern Conference preview, head over to our Twitter or our Instagram at TUS Hockey Pod. You can click the link tree, listen to the previous one where we previewed the Eastern Conference. And somehow we got on a New Jersey Devil all the way to Jonathan Quick Tangent. So <laughs> we might we might end up going from a Los Angeles King to what? Martin Brodeur Tangent this week? Uh, we got Johnny Gibson to talk about. I think we'll be good. Oh, that's right. Keep it in your pants, Sonny. <laughs> yeah, my boy. My boy Gibson. Well, before we dive into that Western Conference preview, I do want to take the time to thank our sponsors, Eden's Herbals. Please, when you're visiting Eden's Herbals, hit our link tree up, click that dedicated affiliate link. And when you're shopping, use promo code TUSPOD for 15% off of your entire order. They've got CBD gummies. They've got CBD oils. They've even got CD, CBD for the pups. So they've got a little bit of everything that you can get there at Eden's Herbals. You can, uh, again, catch our link tree, click the dedicated link, and use TUSPOD promo code at checkout for 15% off of your entire order. All right, Sonny, it's time for some Western Conference preview. I think we've got two pretty good divisions here. The more I watch the Pacific Division play, I know it's only preseason right now, the more I kind of think it's a better division than we give it credit for. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I think both the Western Conference divisions have some, some really stellar competition in them. Um, <clears throat> I think what's going to be interesting is, um, again, is, is this finally the time that the West kind of retakes the throne? Do we have a team that could do that? Or is it again, those measuring sticks in the East, Tampa Bay, Washington, have they kind of still managed to be just that little bit ahead of the game, uh, that's going on in the West. So I think that's, what's going to be interesting. We don't have a Western Conference champion since the Blues, which was, what, three years ago? Because we have Tampa for the last two. Yeah. So, I I don't know. I I think there's some contenders in the Western Conference here. I mean, most of them probably lie in the Central with Colorado, probably St. Louis, maybe Winnipeg, Chicago, Minnesota. But in the Pacific, I think you have a clear-cut one with Vegas, although I will say... (laughs) I will say this whole Robin Leonard stuff uh, might cause a huge distraction. I know there's a lot of people out there, especially on social media, that really hope the Vegas Golden Knights go down in flames for what they did to Flurry and keeping Robin Leonard, who, if you believe the reports, has run his way out of every city he's been in so far. I understand the mental health issues. And again, I don't want to get down in a deep dive of a rabbit hole with Robin Leonard, but there's a lot of people rooting against the Vegas Golden Knights this year. Yeah, and I kind of... It's a weird situation. Like it's a, it's a, even though it isn't a brand new team, it feels like a brand new team now that Flurry's gone. 
and the way they kind of handed the net over. It wasn't like there was some kind of heir apparent prospect where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's it's awful to see Flurry go, but this was the direction they were heading in anyway. They kind of weirdly brought in Leonard a couple of years ago. Pete DeBoer kind of handed him the net um, during the bubble playoffs. Right. You know, and, and whether that was, and I think what caught people by surprise there was it wasn't like people didn't think Pete DeBoer wasn't above doing some kind of goaltending controversy or creating a goaltending controversy, which he essentially did. Um, and I mean, there was, there was an argument to be made back then that maybe Leonard was just playing better than Flurry. Uh, I, I've, I've noticed when in the last decade, when teams have tried to do that, where they brought in kind of a, a, a either another, another number one or kind of that, maybe tier two number one goalie, it, it has kind of thrown off the number one a little bit. I remember LA did it a few years ago. Remember, I think they brought in Ben Bishop awkwardly um, to right. kind of, as an insurance policy for Jonathan Quick. And everybody's like, what the fuck's going on? Like, <laughs> is there something we don't know about Quick? And they're like, oh no, it's just an insurance policy. And they're like, okay. And then I think LA got eliminated in the first round anyway. Didn't matter having Bishop there, but it was... Similar kind of thing. They got rid of Bishop. You know, it is what it is. Vegas, I could see how people are kind of on the bandwagon of wanting to see Leonard go down. I don't like to cheer against people, um, but it will be interesting. I think there's probably more eyes on Robin Leonard than there ever have been on Robin Leonard. Self-inflicted, too. And there's pressure. There is bona fide pressure to perform. This isn't a case where, oh, there's going to be a lot of eyes, but nobody has expectations. Oh, there's some fucking expectations. Right. <laughs> and those expectations are quite lofty. Uh, I mean, this is a team that hasn't seen an exit earlier than the fir- a third round in, what, a few years now. Um, and when they didn't make it to a conference final, it was a shock to everyone. Um I don't know that it's a city and a franchise that's going to settle on another Final Four um, when they have had a cup run. And when you make the distinction that Robin Leonard's the guy, you're kind of saying, well, wait a second, not only is Final Four not good enough, we believe Leonard's the guy to get us to a cup final. That's where it's going to be interesting. Well, obviously Pete DeBoer believes that because you could argue for two straight years he picked the wrong guy. You know, everything in the bubble said that, you know, obviously the flurry with the sword with, you know, his agent and the photo and flurry was theoretically playing better in the bubble. And then last year you had issues where I thought Robin Leonard was playing better than flurry at points. And you could argue for two straight years that Pete DeBoer made the wrong decision. And and he probably went to the front office and says, you got to get, get rid of one of them. Right. You know, and you know, was it the right move? I guess only time will tell. The situation was as Flurry just made more money, and that was the problem. They were so up against the cap. Flurry made more money. He's older, but he's also coming off a Vezina season. So it was like, God, what do you do here? I mean, I, I don't know. For me, I understand the move with moving Flurry out. I don't understand the, the return for Flurry, which was basically <laughs> nothing. Which was free, um, yeah. Don't tell me this high, this, this ECHL product. Don't even give me that. Um, I don't know. I, I just I think you're absolutely right, and then we'll we'll get into this with the Pacific. We'll start with them. We'll start with the cream, with the Vegas Golden Knights, and I think it's cup or clean out your desk for McCrimmon or McPhee because Bill Foley has you've made Bill Foley look like an idiot. Now, right? He told Mark Andre Fleury and his family that they were going to retire as Golden Knights. Well, that has proven to be false. Right. 
So now, if I'm Bill Foley and I walk up to George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon and I say, look, you made me eat my words to a fan favorite. Not only that, we've gotten rid of several fan favorites in Ryan Reeves, who was untouchable, in your words. Your, and I quote. Future captain. Future captain. I, and I quote, quote, obviously not, unless something. <laughs> and then Nate Schmidt was, uh, you know, traded to make room for Alex Petrangelo last year. If I'm Bill Foley, I think he's pushing 80 years old at this point. I'm saying you better get me a cup or you better update your resume. Yeah, I I, I strongly agree. And I think this guy, there's a few managers around the league that are going to, or GMs rather, that are going to be in that same kind of situation. The Vegas one is exactly that. I think Bill Foley hates being embarrassed. I think this is a guy that in business is a winner. He's a Vegas winner. And to have what's going on here and to piss off, I mean, Vegas is all about the people. It's about entertainment. It's about put. It's about making those asses in the seats happy. And you're putting some unhappy asses in seats to start a season. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree. I think it is cup or bust. I think either you see Vegas make some very aggressive moves throughout the season. You know, if they notice that there's a chance to either get better or pull away from the pack, I could see them doing that. But I think Bill, I think you're right. I think Bill Foley has kind of, or should have kind of put some fire under their feet and been like, hey guys, this is the way it's got to be or peace. Like, see ya. And now going into the season here, the season, what, starts in six days, seven days, a week from now. And you have your starting goaltender, the, the topic of all, one of the topics of all this controversy, now starting to throw former NHLers and coaches and franchises under the bus. What, what are we doing here? I mean, you kind of knew that, and I'm going to use a, a probably less than politically correct term, but you kind of knew Robin Leonard was off his rocker a little bit. Mm-hmm. You, you had to understand that when you brought him in because of his past, because of even things he said last year before mm-hmm. you got rid of Flurry regarding the, the bubble and having to isolate away from his family members. And now you got this. This is just the biggest. And if he doesn't start the season off on fire, right, it is going to be problem central here in Las Vegas. I can tell you that for a fact because you're right. I think, I think with the signaling of trading Flurry, even though there are still some expansion pieces here in Vegas, still you have Theodore, you have uh, Alex Tuck, you have a couple of others, you have the Carlson line, the whole entire line. Um, but theoretically, I mean, that ex- this isn't an expansion team anymore. I think right. when Flurry was gone, because I've sat in that stadium and no one gets the applause and the fanfare like Marc-Andre Flurry does. Not a single other person on that team. I don't care what anyone says to dispute that. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets the cheer and the roar like Flurry did. Mm-hmm. And only that, it was a city that was, it was always an arena that was so happy when he got the shutouts. Like, I know Vegas, uh, what's it called? Uh, the donut place does the free donuts every time Vegas gets a shutout. But, I mean, everybody was so happy when it was Flurry that got them their donuts. It was mm-hmm. always, there, there was always that added element of happiness when Flurry was in net for a win, when Flurry stole a game. I agree 100%. Having been to games down there myself, I can truly say yes. Mark Andre Flurry was the most loved Golden Knight. It's tough as a goalie to talk shit. Like, if you don't have something to that resume to back it up, it is very tough. And by something, I mean there's cups, there's individual uh, You have a Jennings, which you just rode the coattails of Marc-Andre Fleury last right? year. Right. I don't even know that a Vezina is good enough anymore. I think I think that has kind of lost a bit of its weight. Um, uh-oh, what the fuck happened? We good? 
Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, my computer <laughs> my just went all wacky. Um, sorry. Yes. Uh, with this, uh, yeah, Vesna is not good enough. I think okay. you have too many of these cases where you guys have, where you have a, a Vesna winner, or even, I mean, in Bobrovsky's case, a couple of Vesnas who's done what? A couple of Vesnas to talk shit? Like, that's, that's not good enough. Um, and then, because it, it becomes a slippery slope getting into that, like, Roberto Luongo argument. Zero Vesnas. What does he have to say? Um, I think Robin Leonard, yes, there's some mental health issues. But again, what I shared, what I had sent you over Instagram there with him throwing Buffalo under the bus about his ankle and injuries. Um, didn't he do that with the Islanders as well? Um, I think there were some issues with Chicago. Like, it becomes that thing where eventually you are the biggest common denominator in your own life and your own life trajectory. And I think Robin Leonard's going through a little bit of that right now. Is there some buyer's remorse that, you know, if he wins a cup, it's maybe not, but it could be a bumpy ride to get to that cup. That's for sure. And I think it's probably the bumpiest ride that has been public display from a goalie. Now, there's been situations where you knew a goalie's felt awkward, has felt out of place, hasn't been happy with the situation. They've still done their best, or you just don't know the extent. Leonard's airing everybody's dirty laundry. And he feels it's his right to do so. Whether it is or isn't, that's like, it's tough. It's tough in, in today's day and age to be doing what he's doing, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and that's got to worry people who are in the Vegas camp here because, like I said, it fully is cup or bust, and he agreed to let Flurry go, and now you see this. I mean, I don't think this is something that's going to get you know the NHL against him or attacking right. him, but it's like, dude, I mean, he, I don't know. You never had Marc-Andre Flurry say a bad thing about anybody that I can remember. Right. And now you've had Robin Leonard do nothing but say bad things about people. Yeah, it's the exact difference. I mean, even with the whole thing with Matt Murray and what happened in Pittsburgh, Mark Andre Fleury never threw Murray or the organization under the bus. I mean, just the consummate professional teammate. Uh, and that's something that's hard to replace in the dressing room. I mean, it's it's no different than why I've said I, I have a hard time believing like a guy like Yarmer Yager couldn't find a team to what that didn't find what he had to say in the dressing room valuable if if joe thornton can remain gainfully employed in the nhl why can't yarmir yager in my opinion um so i think yarmir yager is like 10 years older than thornton okay <laughs> i again i don't think Jordan thornton's contributing much more than things in the dressing room but again, I agree, what is, but, but I'm, what does he have to say and more importantly what does he have to say that i don't want to hear more from yarmir yager than joe thornton but is Joe Thor Joe Thornton's in Florida right now, right? He's in Florida. I, I was just, but I'm just saying that that was the thing. No, but I mean, like that's you're right. He's still on a team at this point, right? What did he do last year statistically? Zero. He showed up for a few games. He had 20 points. Okay, in 50 four, something games. In 44 at years games. old. At 100 years old, that's not bad. So he played 44 games at 20 points. He was almost a point per other every other game. Right. At however old he is right now. What is he? 38? 42. Good Lord. Um, so do you think today that Yaramir Yager could be a 20-point scorer in the NHL at w whatever he is right now, 48, 49? I'll say this. Whether he's a 20-point player or not, what I think is most interesting about a Yarmir Yager is can he make – 
20-point players, 30-point players? Can he make a 40-point player a 50-point player? Can he take a guy that's a 60-point player and make him a point-to-game player? That's where I think Yarmer Yager's uh, abilities would come in handy. Uh, I, I think it, there's very few players that ever in any game have the ability to make everybody around them better. Yarmer Yager is one of those few at the NHL level. And there were some arguments that, I mean, Alex Ovechkin was doing that, does do that. There was some time there during probably what were his peak years that he wasn't. And I think that's why everybody was so hard on him because they were like, Ovi, you could make everybody just better. Like that's how much better you are than the rest. Crosby does it. McDavid does it. Um, He was unwilling to play defense back then too. Right. And, you know, he was, you know, there was a lot going on, but uh, I think Yarmer Yager is at a point where just what he could tell you, what he could tell you, even just when you come back to the bench and him watch what you were doing out there to be like, Hey man, you're one step too, you know, too far ahead, or you're one step too close, or you're one step to the left. Like, you, you know, those little invaluable insights. Think of the guys he's played with. Think of the guys he's watched, what he's accomplished himself. You know, I think it, that to me is one of the biggest. Just what the fuck? If if Joe Thornton can sign a league minimum, I I'd pay. I think Yarmir Yager's worth twice that. I I think Yarmir Yager's easily a one and a half million dollar guy on on a lot of teams. To be perfectly honest, any it's and even if it's just to give you feedback, I'll still take it. All right, let's reel it back in here. I wouldn't mind seeing Yager on at a league minimum for Seattle. That could be a fun one. But let's look at the, in my opinion, closest competitor in the Pacific to the Vegas Golden Knights. And I would say that's the Edmonton Oilers. I, I think right. you would probably agree with that in this situation. I, think I do, yeah. The situation is <clears throat> regular season, they, they they play fine. And, you know, the, uh, the extra, te- uh, extra team, extra season, the playoffs, it never kind of goes well for them. But, you know, they've made a couple moves here and there. You know, the, the, the Duncan Keith trade, how do we feel about that? What do we think that's going to do? But... Um, <clears throat> the Edmonton Oilers, if the Vegas Golden Knights have a little bit of dissension in the locker room and things don't go their way, I think this is the next team to take the step to try to win the Pacific. Man, it's so tough. It's that I, I, I want to believe in Edmonton. I look at Edmonton to kind of maybe even flip-flop with Calgary, even though I'm not sold on Jacob Markstrom. Um I looked to the, what Calgary did a few years ago where Calgary was on that brink and then all of a sudden just like Colorado and everybody just passed them, just shot right past them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what you're going to kind of see with Edmonton. Um, I mean, I think Edmonton is going to benefit from having uh, like the California teams are notably weaker than them. McDavid by himself is better than the Calgary Flames. McDavid by himself is better than the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I think that's the only reason they're in that conversation is the next best team in the Pacific. I don't think they're the next best team in the Pacific and it's close. Like, Ooh, if Vegas doesn't win, you know, Edmonton's getting to a cup final. I don't know that they're there yet. I don't know that their goaltending tandem is getting them there. To me, it's a, t- it's a, it's a no, team. I'm just looking at winning the Pacific though. I'm not looking at winning a cup. I'm just looking at winning the Pacific. Here. I, I, again, I even, I mean, I would hope, and I would expect that Vegas, if they're falling, if things are falling apart that badly, and for instance, it's Leonard to blame, they're going to make a move to right the ship a lot quicker 
than it would allow Edmonton to pull away in the Pacific, in my opinion. Again, though, maybe Dreisaitl and, and McDavid put up career numbers, but again, that's the regular season. I still think I, I think there's a big divergence in that division. I think Vegas has kind of maybe not improved so much, but just the rest of the teams haven't done anything. I think they ha- they've all kind of almost in ways taken steps back, and that's why I think it's it's – I'd be shocked if Vegas doesn't win this division, to be perfectly honest. I agree with you. I think Vegas can win this division with their eyes closed. I don't think that's a a complete issue. But let me ask you this. This would be a fun. I don't want to get too far on a tangent on this one, but I want to – how fun would this be if Robin Leonard flies off the deep end (laughs) and Bill Foley flies in Tuka Rask? Right? That would be insane. You can't rely on Laurent Bossois to be the number one on this team. No disrespect to him, but – Ironically enough, from Edmonton, right? They let go of Laura Brassois for the Smith and whatever the other tandem is, where in all honesty, I'd probably rather have Brassois than Edmonton met. Well, Brassois um, was with Winnipeg, no? He was, but he got we got him from Edmonton, if I'm not mistaken. That had to be a few years ago. A couple. Hmm. Um, Winnipeg's had this weird bottleneck in net for the last number of years. Um, where they haven't moved and they've kind of let people expire past their maximum value. I mean, Eric Comrie's been bounced around the NHL. When there was a time they could have traded Comrie and gotten a pretty substantial return for it. Now he just, everybody claims him off of waivers because nobody really seems to be that attached to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that could be an interesting move with Tuka Rask. Uh, Winnipeg could be dance partners in a trade. Again, maybe not for an Eric Comrie, but um, they have a guy, Mikhail Burdine who um, I don't see a reason why he isn't on the Jets roster, let alone he isn't going to want to sit on the bench for much longer. So that could be a situation as well where, again, Winnipeg, if they're smart and they know they think we still have a few more years in Connor Hellebuck, we don't think Burdine could necessarily surpass Hellebuck and we don't really want to you know, go that direction, that's to me a trade or a situation that really jumps up. I didn't even think of the Tuka Rask thing, but that could—I mean, some fun I was thinking about. I mean, it's it's not the worst idea in the world. It comes down to does Tuka want to play anywhere but Boston, and what and how do they make it work in Vegas? But so I look at you know Edmonton's roster here, and obviously they they acquired Zach Hyman, they signed him to a long term deal, but. You know, you look at this team, I know they brought in Kyle Turris, and it's like, are they better than they were last year? Right. We know what we get out of Connor. We know we get out, what we get out of Drysaddle. But they just seem to be good enough to win regular season games. Like, they're going to be able to feast against the California teams. They're going to be able to feast against the Kraken. They're probably going to be able to beat Arizona. I mean, that's probably, what, 15, 16 wins right there. Right. Give or take. Um, and, you know, Vancouver, they'll probably be 50-50 ball with them. They'll probably be 50-50 ball with Calgary as well. And, uh, you know, that's – I don't know. The specific – like I said, it's it's a – when I say it's a, a division – a better division than we give credit for, I actually wonder – and let's move into those California teams. I actually wonder if some of them are going to be better because L.A., that seems to be the darling right now. It seems like a lot of people are high on L.A. I don't know what to believe here in this sense because I still think they have too many aging veterans and not enough young pieces that are ready to take the reins. I I agree. And I think, too, when you have that aging core, an aging core can do wonderful things in making that next 
generation of talent looks spectacular. A guy like an Andre Kopitar, if he had a superstar sniper um, on his wing, he could make him look insane. Right. Um, I still think Andre Kopitar, in his, at his best, um, was in my and is still a top ten centerman, easily a top ten centerman. Um, but there was a time when he was top, where he was in that conversation as one of the best all around. Um, and I think again, maybe has he lost a step? Maybe has the league gotten, you know, a step younger could be, I think again, I don't know. It's like New Jersey. Is LA, do they know something we don't like, you know, am I looking you know, is it that situation I described? Do you guys, do you all, we must have the same hand because that's the only reason you'd be doing what you're doing. Um, I think LA could maybe is in that same, maybe. I, I don't know looking at their roster that I'm like, oh, okay, I, I see something here. I, I don't know. Again, it could be just the apparent weakness in the Pacific that, again, after Vegas, maybe it is kind of anybody's game. Right. That's where I'm kind of looking at it because, I mean, I do look at the roster and I, I see a couple of additions, name additions with Philip Deneau, Victor Arvidsson, uh, you know, guys like that. Alexander Edler, Olimata, guys who were, I mean, Olimata's a decent, um, you know, a decent pickup there in the trade uh, for, I think he was, the, I think he was in the Jeff Carter trade. But right. like you said, you know, nobody, I don't think anybody barring injuries touching Vegas in this. So we have to find at least two playoff teams. Right. The Kings could be one of them. If Anjay can, you know, become that, you know, I know he's 34 years old and Dustin Brown is 36. I know they're, they're the leftovers, the hangover from those cup years, but I don't think they're completely dead in the water. This is probably Dustin Brown's last hurrah in LA, maybe in the NHL altogether. So well, they have that big four, right? Like they have that big four that kind of all have an itch to prove. I mean, if people are willing to, because all of a sudden Chicago has Mark Hunter, they be like, oh, Chicago's back to being a contender. I can see how LA is like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> if they're back in it, so the fuck are we? Like, hold, let like, everybody pause for a second. Um, I do see where there's some hurt feelings um, from the LA Kings when, you know, in terms of how the rest of the league might view them and whatnot. Um, but again, Drew Doughty came out this summer. He's like, man, there are people that can, don't even consider me a top pair defenseman anymore. Like, I think there might be some people with some fire burning. It's does that fire burn really do anything? Yeah, LA could be a playoff team. LA is one of those weird playoff teams. Does Jonathan Quick have another cup run in him? If he does... That's the question. Can Jonathan, Jonathan Quick stay healthy? If Jonathan Quick can be at Jonathan Quick abilities come playoff time, how do you bet against LA, right? Like, you almost want to ride them just to see how far he can go. Um, but, again, the same thing maybe could be said for Anaheim with my boy Gibson. Like, is it Gibson's time to be that guy that, you know, pulls a Dominic Hasek from the late 90s, early 2000s there, where... You know, he knows he's going to face the most shots. He knows he has to make the most saves. You know, he knows he probably, you know, if he does what he needs to do for Anaheim to have a shot, he's probably getting a Vezina, probably getting a raise, probably getting the fuck out of town. Like it's Well, that's the thing with Jonathan Quick, though. They've ran so many goalies out of town that could have taken the reins from him because he's sure. Jonathan Quick and he's making $6 million a right. year. I mean, you look at it. I mean, just a couple of names off the head. Darcy Kemper ran him right. out of town. I don't say ran him out of town, but he... Never got to take the number one spot, even when Jonathan Quick was injured. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jonathan Quick came back. Uh, Jack Campbell 
I know that Jack, Jack Campbell's not a stud, but you know you don't know what you got if you keep bringing Jonathan Quick back. And they've ran goalies out of there, so it looks like Cal Peterson is going to be their guy going forward. Now, how does this platoon work? I don't know. We'll see because uh, he's making what one last year here at eight fifty eight, and then he's going to be making five million dollars. Is Cal Peterson a five million dollar goalie? You think? Uh, well, the Kings seem to think he is. I don't necessarily think he is, but we'll find out this year, right? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Like, it's tough unless that cap goes up. I think you're going to see a situation where, uh, unless there are teams that are just wanting to overpay for the sake of overpayment, kind of like a Zach Hyman situation where Edmonton almost kind of signed him just to be like, ah, yes, we got one of the name brand players that was available. I think unless you have that, as we kind of said, almost like a borderline cheerleader effect, I think it's going to be tough. I think, to me personally, I truly believe, and as a goalie, it's hard for me to say this, I think that's where the first pay cut has to happen. With quick? And any goalie, especially if you're if you're on one of those teams that has a real shot, quick could be a good, like, when, when does quick's contract come due? Uh, next season. So at the end of next season? Mm-hmm. You put him in a situation where if he does bounce back, if he is able to, if he is healthy, I mean, I'd take him in Edmonton. I'd take him over Smith in Edmonton. Might take him in Vegas when Robin Leonard jumps off the right tower. If he's, I mean, if, if he's healthy, again, there's a potential dance partner right there. I'd take, to be perfectly honest, I would have taken Quick over Flurry. That's for sure. Ooh, I can't agree with you with that one. I would have taken Quick over Flurry. If this was 2010, I'd take Jonathan Quick over Mark Andre Flurry, but not in 2021. I don't know. It's tough. It's 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 a weird thing. Again, Jonathan Quick. I think the style Jonathan Quick has played, and I mean, it's it's interesting because one of the things about Jonathan Quick that they talk about is his strength and his conditioning and what he puts himself through off of the ice. Like it's not like back in the day where these goalies would do these ridiculous things, but they weren't in the best of shape. Quick apparently does so. It could there could be something there where maybe there's an you know an equilibrium imbalance where maybe he pushes too hard right he needs to refocus recenter I don't know I still think Quick's an upgrade in most situations. Again, I mean, Quick hasn't been good since 2017. I mean, you remember those playoffs against the Knights where like I think the Knights scored seven goals and swept the Kings. Right, but there's also that one. But that the first year, though, that was when Quick put up best number, put up Con Smythe numbers in a losing effort. I know like, that's what I'm saying. I don't yeah. think he's been good since then. 2018, forty six playoffs since then. Have no, they, they, made- they, they haven't made the playoffs. Forty six games in 2018, eight eighty eight save percentage, three thirty eight uh, goals against. 2019, two point eight goals against, ninety nine oh four save percentage, and last year two point nine six, eight ninety eight save percentage. I just don't see how. He's an upgrade in that spot, but somebody again, will, somebody will take him again. Come playoffs when he's putting up nine forty six. That's that's what you're hoping on with Jonathan Quick. That's always been the gamble with Jonathan Quick. You are absolutely is, hoping on that. Absolutely. You know, is he putting up a nine sixty five playoffs and you're winning the cup? Like that. That's kind of always the thing. To go back to you know to to go out to tangent again, it kind of reminds me of the Tim Thomas thing. I mean, Tim Thomas put up both good playoff numbers and regular season numbers. He could just only do it for six years. Um, I think it is tough. It's a, it's a big ass for goalies. And that's what I'm saying. I think in any situation, 
I mean, what is Robin Leonard? Didn't they sign him to five million bucks a year to initially sit on the bench? Five million bucks so that nobody else could have him? To me, five million bucks as a goalie, that's that's a hell of a payday. I don't know that there are many goalies truly that should be getting more than that. When you think about it. I think somebody in the middle of the season is going to be looking for a Jonathan Quick. And I tell you, one team, uh, depending on how they play their cards here, I know they don't have any projected cap space right now, but I uh, maybe backing up Andre Vasilevsky. Ooh. If they can, if they can get the Kings to eat some salary. Ooh. I know how much you love Andre. Oh, I mean, I would, I would still rather have Quick in that net. You um, are but- so full <laughs> of shit. You are the worst. You are, you are absolutely the nut low when it comes to Andre Vasilevsky. I, uh, I really, uh, I don't even I, think you believe what you say at this point. I just am not, I'm not a believer in Andre Vasilevsky. I'm still not sold on him. I'm still not sold on John Cooper. I think uh, as far as I'm concerned, the two of them are just, I mean, they have rode the, the coattails of overachievement the last couple of years, like nobody else. Um, with that said, I mean, does Jonathan Quick want, want to be going to Tampa Bay to sit bench? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to be the starter starting goalie this year. True enough. True enough. If you're going to be eating bench, might as well do it on a winner. Might as well get a cup out of it. Yeah, right might now. as well. Might as well do it on a winner. Yeah, true enough. So you talked about Anaheim there and your boy Gibson, and we'll talk about them and kind of rope in the Sharks because I do. The only thing I really want to bring up with the Sharks is now Evander Kane has to be out of the league at this point. Have you seen the latest news? No. What's going on with Kane? He is now under investigation for falsifying a COVID vaccination document. Of course, he is. He is. He just has to be done. Even if these things aren't true, like, I don't know if you remember back in the day, the initial reign of terror that was Roger Goodell. You didn't even have to be guilty of anything to be punished. <laughs> right. You just, you just had to make the NFL look bad. This is what Evander Kane has done for the NHL. And I know the, one of the problems is, is the color of his skin and he's, his claims that he's been racially charged against. I know that wouldn't look good to boot him out of the league, but I'm sorry. This is not a good look for you. Well, I think the one thing that people forget about what Goodell was trying to do is when he did that, like, didn't he go after, like, he went after the top names. He went after Manning. He went after Brady. He went after Breeze. He went after all those guys because he was like, I am not going to let a single person ever be bigger than those three letters. And that bell will always be bigger than any one of you. Whether he was right to do some of the things that remains debatable. He has still kept the brand of the NFL intact. It's no different than UFC. I agree, but the, the image of the brand under the last years of Tagliabu was getting to that, like, the thug league. So right. I can understand maybe a, maybe a little bit of overreach, but I can understand why he did what he did, right. even though exactly. I think it may have been a little improper. But the fact of the matter is, is you can't boot coaches out of this league for refusing to take the vaccine and then let somebody, if it's true, get away with falsifying a COVID. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. I think in, especially in the days of COVID, I think one of the biggest things that's gotten us as a society into trouble with COVID is the lack of consistency is inconsistent messages is different messages is, is um, yeah. Lack of consistency. And I think this is true. I think it is finally the final straw to break the camel's back. Evander Kane has been a problem everywhere he's gone. It doesn't matter the color of his skin. Right. Evander Kane showed up in Winnipeg with an attitude. He went to Atlanta with an attitude. He went to Buffalo 
with an attitude. He went to San Jose with an attitude. It's sad to see because of how hard it is. Out of all the sports to make it in, hockey's tough. Hockey is a tough, tough, tough one to make it in. And to have made it and fucked it up the way he has is a real travesty for him and for everybody who's ever played the game truthfully. Not only is it hard to make, but it's hard to stay. Like, I, I, so I understand it. I mean, like, I'm learning a lot as I go, you know, and I, I would never claim to be an expert. But, I mean, I'm hearing stories about, like, if you're 22 and you're not, like, cracking lineups in the NHL, you're almost washed up at that point. 22 years old. If you're 22 and you don't and you don't and you can truly not make an NHL roster, it's a tough climb. I know that's what I'm saying. It's a tough climb, and um, imagine that when you have other sports where at 22 you're still in that grace period of hey they could still make it. Like hockey's tough. I mean, there's even it goes even further than that. There's even depending on where you're from, where you live, whatnot. There's even people that say if at 16 you don't have a path to the bigs. It's time to focus on the books. Mm. Um, like, and I don't know that, that that advice is necessarily wrong, but again, that's part of the toughness of it. Like in football, you could get good at football later by the end of high school, crack a college team, and have your whole future ahead of you. Right. Hockey. Yeah, you, you hear a lot of stories about guys who didn't even play high school football and they right. played basketball or soccer, and the coach was like, hey, man, why don't you put a helmet on? So, yeah, exactly. No, no. Hockey, it, it, you can't be hitting your stride at 16 and be having a path to the NHL. Um, like, I think people, like, forget, like, yeah, people like the Cinderella Tim Thomas story. Tim Thomas was still, like, what, drafted when he was 18 years old. He was just stuck in the pool until he got finally got a chance at, like, 32 years old. And it's amazing that he stuck with it, especially the road that he had to take playing in the ECHL, where you don't even have fixed payrolls, where you could have players that don't even get paid on a week because somebody else just deserved the money. Um, it's it, it it's this pie-in-the-sky thing, but it wasn't as Cinderella as people think. Evander Kane not only burst in the league he burst into the league with clout and with promise and was given every chance to succeed it's not like even san jose brought him in to bury him they brought him in to be a top line player and he fucked that up you know it's not like he can say oh you know they brought me in here to play on the fourth line no 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 no, no. they brought you in to play 24 minutes a game asshole like cut the shit and I think, and, and they paid you seven million dollars to do so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I, I would. I think it would be disappointing for everybody, and not just for the San Jose organization. Everybody across sports, and really in North America right now, for Evander Kane to be allowed to suit up for an NHL team this season, if again, guilty or not, does it matter? I don't think it does at this point. I think I think there's too been many enough. smoke too many smoke screens. There's got to be fire somewhere. Yeah, and I think especially with the hard stances being taken on COVID now and COVID vaccinations, and as polarizing an issue as it is, and I mean, you know, everybody has different views on it. Um, I you know everybody knows where I stand on it, um, but I think if you're going to see coaches get fired or coaches not hired or coaches being asked to resign, whatever it might be, players not being able to travel, players being screwed, whatever it is. It's tough to then say, oh, 
But let's make, bring Mr. Bad News Drama Kane on board. Like that's to me, it sends a, a strong message that doesn't need to be sent and shouldn't be sent. Um, if Evander Kane, sadly, it's sad to say this, if Evander Kane still has gainful employment in the NHL. That's fair. You know, I take a look at the uh, the San Jose roster here, and I know that it's a lot of names from 16 and 17 and 18, but um, I don't know. They don't look terrible. They added Cogliano. I mean, they added Nick Bonino to, to, this, to this core of Couture, Meyer, Tomas Hurdle, Kevin LeBanc. We know, you know, Eric Carlson, if he can stay healthy, is not a terrible player, especially the fact that you're paying him $11.5 million. Brent Burns still got a little bit in the tank, in my opinion. James Reimer, in my opinion, is a better, better goalie than uh, Martin Jones ever was. And uh, they like Aiden Hill. They like this Aiden Hill uh, trade. I know that um, they got him from the Coyotes here, what, about a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't – I'm not ready to just put them in the depths of, of, of the bottom of the Pacific here, but it's probably where they're going to end up. What I, with Anaheim. What I worry about when I think of the Pacific Division, I look at some of these teams, are some of these teams in at risk of having the future get put in jeopardy because of the potential to overachieve this year because of what could be a relatively weak um, second part of the division. Um, you, you know, where teams aren't as honest about their need to rebuild because they're like, ah, we're still okay. And we still have some of these names that are still around. At a certain point, yeah, you could have these names that were good last year, they were good two years ago, that all of a sudden, time is undefeated. Father Time is undefeated. And eventually, Father Time catches up. And it's one of those things where I think there are some teams that are, that have to be asking themselves some tougher situations, some tougher questions, rather than looking at it from a positive and being like, ooh, we're in a situation that we could possibly still make the playoffs this year versus we make it this year to not make it again for five years. Well, I don't know what's in the what's in the cupboard here with regards to you know, the farm system of, of San Jose. But I think at some point, I mean, maybe you give it a half a year, but who the hell is going to take on Eric Carlson? Who the hell is going to take on Brent Burns? You can't get rid of him. You're you're stuck with him. And maybe even to an extent, Mark Edward Vlasic. Vlasic's an interesting one too, because there was a time when Vlasic would have fetched you a fair price. And I mean, again, it comes down to that. I actually felt the thing that did San Jose in was that cup run against Pittsburgh. I think that lied to them a little bit about where they really were. And I think it was a, um, a San Jose team that had one last run in them that made the most of that one last run, but in turn kind of lied to themselves as to where they really were at. Um, it's kind of like Nashville over the last few years, how they went from being the measuring stick in the central to, I mean, arguably no longer a playoff team or a marginal playoff team in the central. Right. Yeah. They had still some great talent, but it was, it was a pretty quick fall from grace. Uh, and again, the biggest thing there was a failure in my opinion was a failure to admit where you really stand. Um, I think that's kind of the reality of it. I think it happens in, in a lot of sports. And I, and I think you're going to see a little bit of that in those California teams. I almost 
to me, I think you need those teams to quickly distance themselves, fall to the bottom of the pack, and start being in sell mode um, as the best things for those organizations moving forward, in my opinion. I just don't think that San Jose can do it. There's just too much money invested. And who, who are you, who's buying Eric Carlson at 11 and a half? That's true. That's true. Who's you buying Brett some, Burns? Yeah. So I think they're stuck with this middle of the road kind of kind of spit. And the worst part is they do have guys like Timo Meyer, Tomas Hurdle, and Kevin LeBanc. That is their core right now. And even Balsers, right. or however you say his name, Bals Balthers or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, that are that are quality, quality uh guys just wasting their time in San Jose right now. So all right, let's move on to uh we we talked about Anaheim a little bit. I know that it's pretty much John Gibson and nothing else there. Getzloff is I mean, riding off into the sunset, you know, have fun with that. But we have Calgary, we have Vancouver. Now, either of these teams, I think, can be a fringe playoff team, in my opinion. I thought Vancouver, now many people may not agree, but I thought Vancouver actually got better. And I think they, they definitely, a lot of people are down on Vancouver because they got just ripped apart by COVID. Last right. Year. I, think they're, I think they're a better team than what they showed. Connor Garland's going to be a beast for this squad. And I think OEL, I think OEL will take a lot of pressure off of Quinn Hughes this year. They both, they're both now getting paid pretty handsomely for the for a long time. And um, I don't know. I think this is a playoff team right here, in Vancouver. Right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting situation when you look at the Canucks. I think that is a story that goes understated. I think with the Vancouver Canucks, uh, especially with um, what happened to them in COVID. I mean, up here at least, every day the reports were on every sports network was just how sick that team was, how sick and how beat up they got from COVID, how everybody in and around the team had it and how beat up they were. And arguably you could probably make a very strong case that they might have come back playing I mean, of course, they're all negative for COVID at that point, but so beat up that it's just like they, they had nothing left in the tank. And I think that's exactly it. I think when you look at the Canucks last year, if, if we're going to say, oh, well, that Canucks team, I mean, that could be a chance for those California teams. No. Um, I think the Canucks are the team that – if there was a team to bet on a bounce back, I would say the Canucks. Um, because, because I think, to me, that it's the team that makes the most sense that can only go up and should only go up. Uh, in terms of their performance from last year. I think COVID beat the shit out of them. I mean, what didn't they they missed like three weeks worth of games because nobody could get healthy enough. Um and then they were, when they playing, they were playing regular season games as the playoffs started just to right. get their fifty six games in so they could pay them, right. how pay their rosters. And how awful is that? Like how how bullshit like I remember tuning in, I'm like, what the fuck is this? You gotta get you gotta and then I'm like, you wanna oh, get paid, you gotta play the games. You wanna get paid? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, shit, they're going to make them finish the season while other teams are playing meaningful games. How fucking shitty does that make them feel? Um, and I think, it, yeah, I think that's a big part of what's going on there. Um, and, I, yeah, the Canucks are a team, in my opinion. They they should be better. They will be better. Um, I don't even know that's a French club team because I think they could be battling for one of those top three spots. It comes down to, is Thatcher Demko going to be the guy? I think Thatcher Demko, who, for all we know, he could have been the one who was the sickest. Like, that's the thing with this COVID thing. We don't know exactly where everybody fit and exactly how sick everybody was. If you're, goal as a goalie, if you're, if you've got the slightest thing wrong with you and it's putting you a half a second off, that half a second is everything. Well, and now this year they've got uh, Yaroslav Halak 
um, as the backup. So maybe Thatcher only has to play 55 games. Right. Right. And I think too, it's always easy. I, I believe there comes a point when you need to have people be comfortable with their roles. Halak isn't challenging for starting jobs anymore. Um, I think Correct. he knows that and everybody around him knows his days of, of being a number one goalie are done. He's an interim number one if your number one goes down. And he's probably one of the best still at that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still, if my number one has to get t- miss some time, I don't mind it being Yaroslav Halak that's filling in. Um, where I do think um, the issue is, is, again, Thatcher Demko wasn't a proven number one, became the number one, had COVID beat up, beat the shit out of their team. Thatcher's got the big, has got a big thing to prove. Um, but again, I do think based on what I've seen so far from him, he has the potential to be one of those top three goalies in out of the Canadian teams. Um, and when you, and, and when you're starting to look at that conversation, the other two that you're comparing him to when it comes to Hellebuck and Price, that's some elite company. Um, we can't forget that. So I, th- I do, I do think the Canucks are in a good position. I do see them as a playoff team um, because I think what they have, what, that is nice is they have a they have a, an ultra high uh, highly talented group of players, but they don't necessarily have that one player where like oh that's so and so. Elias Peterson's kind of like that, but Elias Peterson's not at the McDavid level. He's not at the Drysaddle level. He's not at the Matthews level of in terms of expectation, in terms of a wow factor, in terms of man you're expecting this guy to carry a league on his shoulders no you're like hey it's another elite swedish talent that that uh, the Canucks found right but i think actually 1 through 3 in the center position for them they don't miss a beat you go no. from you go from Elias Pettersson to Bo Horvat who i think is up until probably about midway through last year was the best center on their team i know that you know the right. ravage but Elias has, has has since taken that role but Bo Horvat's a phenomenal center as well and then you got JT Miller on the third line Unless they decide to bump him up with Horvat in the second, um, but now you got Horvat probably going to go with. Uh, so who do you go with? You go with Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser on the first line, and Bo Horvat and Connor Garland. You have Tanner Pearson as well. I think they got a lot of good options here, and I I think this is, I think it's a playoff team. If if the Pacific can get four, they're definitely in. If they can get three, there's another team I think that probably gets that. And let's move on to them. Okay. I'm going to make a bold prediction here. And I don't know how bold I don't know how bold it is based on Vegas. I don't think I, I, Seattle's making the playoffs this year. Yeah, you think so? I think Seattle's making the playoffs. Look at this team, dude. How yeah, do they're I, not the- How do I not How do I not love this team? Jaden Schwartz leading the way, Yanni Gord, Jordan Eberle, that's a sick ass front line right there. I'm sorry, that's a very good front line. I know Jordan Eberle was playing fourth line in New York. But I love it. I love Tanov. I love just, I love all of the moxie of this team. Now, a lot of these guys, you know, Marcus Johansson, does he give a shit? I don't know. I would think he does, but coming in and signing with, 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 uh, with Seattle, but you would know Mason Appleton is Mason Apple. How good is Mason Appleton? He was the best player we were willing to lose. And what's, what, what, what is that? I'll say this. I think any team, at where Appleton's at in his development and what he brings to the table is upset to lose him. Um, but there's worse players that probably most teams have. There's teams, sorry, there's players that every team has that they would want to keep more than Appleton, but no team would be disappointed, would be happy to lose Appleton. 
And I think that's kind of where he awkwardly kind of fits in. The Jets were, of course, weaker the day after when they lost to Appleton. They weren't happy to do it, but they were happy to lose him over other players. And I think even Seattle would find themselves in the same situation where, yeah, it's upsetting to lose him, but there's other players we'd rather keep. I mean, the more I marinate on the Seattle team, the more I like them. And, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I think they're gonna make the playoffs. How sick is that? Well, I think what's even crazier though, I think what's what get your I boy think, out here. How sick is that? Get your boy. How sick is that? Your boy from last week. I don't know the guy you were mocking. I think that was great. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With the how sick is that? How sick is that? Man, so sick. It's so sick. How sick is that? <laughs> Got seven players in the top ten. How sick is that? How sick is that? I love this team, and they're in the right division to do it. Same with Vegas. Yes, I agree with that. They're in the right division to do that because, I mean, Vegas, and I've long said the West is one up the middle. Um, Vegas has the weakest uh, of a top of a contending team. Like Vegas is they are up the middle. They have the they worst are four centers weak. in the NHL yes. if you combine them. And that could be a problem too, especially now with essentially a new team um, and a new direction now with Leonard Nett. They're a team that's going to be chasing the puck more than controlling it, in my opinion. Um, and I, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Um, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think Vegas would love to have Bo Horvath at their number one spot. Like Vancouver is is is, is in an enviable spot. And I do think there's a little more um, solidarity to the Seattle lineup than maybe initially meets the eye. And yeah, I, I do think in the Pacific Division, they are probably a top three team and probably making the playoffs. Um, I think Philippe Grubauer has a lot to prove. I think there's a lot of pressure on him, um, which is kind of interesting, right? That essentially the two expansion teams have the goalies with probably the most eyes on them mm-hmm. in the conference. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I look at the free agent pool and, and, and you know, how just there's some centers there. Like Eric Stahl, a team like Vegas, didn't think Eric Stahl was worth bringing in with that, right. you know, that experience, you know, I, I don't know. I could go down front, you know, Franz Nielsen. I know these guys are 36 and 37 years old, but they thought Evgeny Dadnov was right. a better option. Right. Some of these guys. So anyways, but Seattle, I mean, I just look at it. I look at, like I said, this is the division to do it. The more I sit and marinate on their team, the more I like them day to day. And I could be way off because I didn't think the Vegas Golden Knights had a, you know, the snow, snowball's chance in hell right. to make the playoffs. And every time I was like, all right, well, here's where it ends. They would just beat the Kings. All right, well, here's where they can't get any farther than this. Then they beat the Sharks. All right, well, they can't get any farther. Then they beat the Jets. And it's like, holy. All right. And then I'm, all right, I'm all in. And then they lose to the Washington Capitals. Right. That, that, that is actually probably the, the exact sentiment of what that playoff run really was. Like, ah, okay, maybe they could beat LA. Then Quick was playing well. It was like, shit. Yeah, we were lucky to get that first one by Quick. Then all of a sudden they do, they hold up and, and are able to win that tight series with LA. And then it's like, ah, okay, they're not beating San Jose. Oh, shit, they're killing San Jose. All right. <laughs> and then, I mean, the Jets were kind of doing their own thing too, where people weren't expecting them to get out of the first, out of the second, and to beat the... I mean, arguably the Western Conference favorite Nashville Predators on route, and then Vegas thumps them. Be like, oh, well, I mean, Ovechkin's going to be happy to have just made it to a cup final. Like, Washington's going to collapse. No, no, no. Washington's going to come in and spank is what's going to happen. I think, yeah, I think I if I were to lock in two teams out of the Pacific Division in terms of 
thinking that they can consistently put forward the effort over 82 games, I would say it's probably Seattle and Vegas. I think it's going to be where the rest of those two, where the rest of those teams. And I think arguably you're going to get one, maybe two Canadian teams in the playoffs in the Pacific. I do think it's going to be some kind of combination of Edmonton, Calgary, or Vancouver. I, I do believe those are the next in that. Yeah, so I, I mean, like I said, and and Seattle's already got pressure on them, right? Because Vegas did it. Why can't you do it? Vegas did right. it. And arguably, right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I'm looking at this from a different perspective, and I, maybe it's less objective. I think Seattle walked out with a better team after expansion night than Vegas walked out with theirs. I understand now we look at it, you know, five right. years in hindsight. William Carlson. Scored 43 goals. Jonathan Marshall shows a perennial 25 to 30 goal scorer. But I mean, William Carson, Carlson and all of his like 13 career goals. I mean, we weren't you know, walking out of there saying. Well, Marshall was the steal, right? Because Marshall led the Florida Panthers in goals and points. And then they were like, yeah, he's a flash in a pan. We'll let him go. Well, that's because they um, didn't want to lose Barkov, if I'm correct. Right. And I mean, I can't blame them. Nobody wants to lose Barkov. But it was some of the other people they protected. Um, versus letting go um, in order to let Marcia so walk. Trocek, who's gone. Yeah. <clears throat> didn't they even pick... Uh, I mean, they saved Bobby Lou, didn't they? Like, they... Wasn't Bobby... I think Bobby Lou might have still even been protected back then. Possibly. Uh, but uh, regardless, I mean, even... Let's build from the net out. Like, whichever direction you want to go, if you want to start center, like, yeah. I mean, I would say Grubauer today is a better goalie to build your team around than Flurry was on day one of the Golden Knights. I think right. I mean, is, is, he, is he not the best goalie in the Pacific right now? I would say so. I think, and I don't even I think, think it's he actually the- that's close. I don't even think it's close. I think he's probably one of the best in the West, and I think that's why he's going to have so many eyes on him. Is because if he is as good as it seems that he is, Seattle I should mean, have no problem making the playoffs. Right. Right. That's to me. That's the biggest thing. I think Grubauer is one of the top in the West, let alone easily. Uh, sorry, he's not the best in that division. Nice try. He ain't John Gibson. <laughs> nice try. Not a chance. You can, you can keep spewing John Gibson nonsense at me all you want, but, I mean, John Gibson has periods where he disappears too. And when I, by, me, by periods, I don't mean 20-minute segments. I mean periods of the season. I pay, Let's put it this way. I think if John Gibson had been in the Colorado net the last two years, they would have won back-to-back cups. Uh, I think oh, if John Gibson was oh. in any of those playoff teams' nets other than maybe Tampa Bay, um, I think those teams are winning the cup. I yeah, think I, I'm definitely sure that, that Colorado wants his 284 goals against with a 903 save percentage. When you play for Anaheim, those oh, are Vezina numbers. On. When you play for Anaheim, those <laughs> are Vezina numbers. All right, well, we'll see what happens with Johnny Gibson because I, he spent, what, four, five, eight years here now with Anaheim. It's got to be shit or get off the pot time for the Ducks. I think so, too. I think, I think I, to me personally, and yes, I'm a big Johnny Gibson fan, but I think I think that's one of the biggest cases of we have to bo- we have to move on. I think Anaheim and Gibson both have to be ready and willing to move in separate directions. So, all right. Well, speaking of different directions, let's move into that uh, central division because we would argue it is the stronger of the two in the Western Conference. We've got uh, I, I I'd liken it a little bit to the Metro here. I mean, let's see. I, I you know running down here, Minnesota can make a playoff. Right. Chicago can probably can is a fringe playoff team. 
wild card at best, in my opinion. Winnipeg can make a playoff. I think St. Louis can make a playoff. Obviously, Colorado. And I think Dallas, if they can improve from the, the Dallas, or they can be the Dallas of two years ago, I think they can make a playoff. Let's 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 hand our parting gifts to Arizona and Nashville. I think we can do that, correct? Dallas is going to be an interesting one. Because don't they have like four goal, like four NHL caliber goalies, like right now under contract? Um, it appears that Brave three. I know that. I know they have Dobin, oh, Ben, ben Bishop's on long term IR. I right. got to imagine he's done. But I they would have, say so. they have Hodobin and Holtby, and then I know they have a fringe have a- goalie, um, Odinger. Odinger. I know they like him. Yeah, Edinger, I, I think- you say his name. It appears, which is the interesting thing, that uh, Holtby, from what I'm seeing, I, I would say Holtby might be starting in their net for the beginning of the season. I think he's your number one guy to start. Um, things They're going to start Hodobin, I think. You I think. think so? Yeah. Pay him more. <sighs> they pay him more. He's got the most success with Dallas, not necessarily in general. I'm not saying they're going to be a 1A, 1, a 1A, a 1 and 2. They might be. I, yeah, two. they might. It it might be it might be a tandem. It might be a tr- as true a tandem as you have in the NHL this year. It might play a thirty, you know, forty-seven thirty-five split, or yeah, like, I could see like that. a forty-two, you know, forty-two forty split, or something like that. Yeah, you could. There, there's some ways to make it work that neither get, that both guys are contributing. Yeah, you just play the stats at that point. I mean, Rick Bonus is, you know, his time in Tampa. He's a pretty solid coach, right? Um, you know, I think you know you just play the stats game. Which which guy statistically is better against these opponents? I mean, they're both. Right. It's not like you got a young goalie and an old goalie. They're both over thirty. Right. So I mean, it's, it's not like you have you know go with the young guy on the second night of a back to back. Right. Really, I mean, well, I think I- if you can get talent out of both of these guys, the Dallas can be the improved team. Their problem really has been scoring. They don't. It has do it. Been. They don't do it. It has been. It's been that uh, Tyler Sagan hasn't been putting up the numbers that he could be putting up. Jamie Benn, ever since he won that Art Ross trophy, people are expecting that every year out of him. Um, And I mean, Jamie Benn does his best. If there's one guy probably in the NHL that's made me a believer, it's Jamie Benn. A believer in Um, what? I I never expected Jamie Benn to be as good as he is. Okay, but like, what does that make you believe? I don't know. What what I, I, what do you say? Well, I think it's that it's like for if you if you didn't believe in Jamie Ben, you'd kind of look at Dallas and be like, what the fuck do they have going on? But I think when you actually kind of look and you, and if you if you're a, if you are a Jamie Ben believer, you're kind of like, okay, this is a team that is maybe in some senses underperforming um, to where they should be. I mean. When Dallas plays Winnipeg, they look like world killers because they make it look like it's, it's not even fair. Right. You know, and, and, that's a, and when I look at that, I'm like, man, if Dallas could just do this on a consistent level, they'd be one of the top teams in the West every year. Um, it's that they don't. That's what's weird about it is they're a team that can look like absolute world destroyers on some nights and then just go through these periods where it's they're losing and you're like, man, what the fuck's going on here? And then they squeak into the playoffs and you're like, huh, how are they the ones to do this? And then you, because you've forgotten that, oh, right, they're actually good. 
I think that like to me that's that's how I kind of look at the Dallas Stars. I think they're they're kind of one of those weird teams that kind of other teams could do well depending on how consistent Dallas could be. Dallas kind of writes their own future a little bit. Well, that's fair. Well, let's look at another team that I think is on the fringe here, and that's the Chicago uh, Blackhawks. I, I know they've made a ton of moves in the offseason, but I got to ask the question here. Like, I, the basic question, you know, the basic answer is are they better than they were last year? Yes. But are they good enough? Right. I don't know. Right. And that, that is a big question. I don't know. What com- I mean, they need Jonathan Taves. They need a healthy, fully contributing Jonathan Taves, to, I think, to, for this to even be a, really even anything worth talking about. Without Taves, no. They could be as much be- they could be as better as they want. They're still not good enough. Right. Um, they need Jonathan Taves. It's tough when you're a team that's let Panarin walk. Like, I mean, they let Panarin go. Like that's when Panarin, you... Teravinen. They let yeah. a lot of guys walk because of the fact that they had Kane, Taves, Seabrook, Keith. and Keith just taking up so much GD money. Yeah. That, and that was the and then I mean and and lest we forget too, Corey Crawford wasn't underpaid. He was a six six and a half a year, I think, in that net. Um, and I mean, if any goalie, it's it's tough for me to to believe necessarily that even Corey Crawford was worth that kind of money. But at least he had those two cups. It's it's an interesting thing. It's like it's funny. Corey Crawford was starting to make believers out of people when he kind of was right when he finally ended up calling it a career in a sense, like. It was only towards the end that people were like maybe Corey Crawford's actually turned a corner. He's actually gotten good. Um, yeah, but I just I look at this team, and yes, our first line is going to be Kane Taves and Alex DeBrinket. Right. I mean, Dominique Kubalik is decent. Dylan Strom. Uh, that's provided we haven't had we don't have confirmation that Taves is back to start the season yet, do we? Uh, I don't have confirmation, but if if obviously he's going to be first line, we can right we can agree mm-hmm. on that. If and when he comes back, yes. Because who are you going to put on the first line? You're going to put freaking Dylan Strom or Tyler <laughs> Johnson on the first line? There's very few teams that Jonathan Taves is not an upgrade over their current number one center situation. So let's just say, even if he, let's just say he's back. Who's line two? Johnson, yeah. Kubalik, and Strom? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a drop. I mean, it's Kirby, a drop. is Kirby Doc ready to take the next step? It's, yeah, I, I just, I think. You have to bring Taves back into the equation for it to even be a conversation. And for me, to be perfectly honest, I just, I don't think they're as good as Dallas. I don't think they're as good as St. Louis. I don't think they're as good as Winnipeg, um, even though it's funny that, because I mean, just because of the rivalry, because of proximity and whatnot, um, and because their captain is a Winnipeg boy. um, You know, Winnipeg's the only team that really brings the best out of Chicago. It comes down. This is still a division that has Colorado in it. I mean, it kind of comes down to where the fuck are you going to have space for Chicago? Chicago makes the playoffs if the Pacific is that much worse than everybody even expects them to be. In my opinion, that's the only way Chicago is making the playoffs. But that's still not even a guarantee because I look at the situation. We'll move on to these other two teams here in Minnesota and Winnipeg. I mean, I, I think we can we can put Colorado in in pen. Yes, I mean Darcy Kemper says <laughs> we can put that in in probably in blood. 
I think uh, I think we can probably put I think we can put Winnipeg in the playoffs, and I think we can put I personally believe we can put Dallas in. So that's three. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 tough. So now you're looking like if you get four or five, you're looking at Minnesota, St. Louis, and Chicago, and you're looking at at best two out of those three. And and is Chicago better than either of those? Like things have to go wrong. And they have to go wrong in a very big hurry. Well, and Chicago's sure. all in, too, because Marc-Andre Fleury is a uh, on an expiring seven, deal. Yeah, and that's a $7 million guy in your net. Um, like, <laughs> I'm all I in on sh- unders. I'm all in on no playoffs for Chicago here. Yeah, I, I am, too. I, I, I just I don't see it. That like that central division is tough. Well, not only that, I mean, I look at you know, okay, Seth Jones, okay, great defenseman, fine. Calvin DeHaan, not good. Jake McCabe, meh. Connor Murphy, okay, decent. Mark Andre Fuller is going to get left hung out to dry a lot, and yes. he's the guy. That Spike said it best. I never noticed it. It was one of those like <laughs> mind blown. Mark Andre Fleury tries to make the easy save look like a highlight reel, right? He is going to get hung out to dry in Chicago. So have fun, Mark. Right. I, I, I do agree with that. When Spike said that, I'm like, that is the perfect analysis of Marc-Andre Fleury. Nobody makes routine saves look more difficult and highlight reel than Marc-Andre Fleury. And in turn, it gets exposed when he is faced with difficult situations and the puck goes in the net. Um, there's also no... I, I would also say there's... Oh, Fuck, I'm drawing a blank on his name. He played in Edmonton. Um, I think he did time in Toronto. He he had like the record. It was like he he had like a 70 save shutout re- like a few years ago. Drawing a blank on him. I think he even played for LA at one point. Um, regardless, he had his flaw was that he, the goals he would let in were goals you shouldn't be letting in. Marc-Andre Fleury, out of any goalie who could and probably will make the Hall of Fame, no goalie has let in more goals they should stop than Marc-Andre Fleury, in my opinion. I think that's his biggest knock. There's no goalie who lets in goals that you're like, huh, that, that, that's the one. Okay, <laughs> so that's what we're letting in tonight. Excellent. Fuck me. No goalie has made a career out of doing that. Even back in his minors days, people forget he single-handedly handed the U.S. a World Junior Gold Medal by sh- by deciding he all of a sudden plays the puck. I mean, last year, if he just doesn't come out of his net, Montreal doesn't uh, move on. Like Vegas is playing Tampa Bay, and Vegas might beat Tampa Bay. Um, You're talking about Ben Scrivens? Yes. Yes, I, just, I, I did am. some googling. I am talking about Ben Scrivens. Um, yes. And my assessment of Ben Scrivens was Ben Scrivens is an excellent goalie who lets in goals that shouldn't be let in. And that's why, I mean, that's why he doesn't play in the NHL anymore. It's touche. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury, I think, has made a, has had a remarkably successful career um, as a guy who's let in goals that shouldn't be let in. And I mean, there's a strong argument to be made that he's argued that he is the worst goalie to ever win multiple Stanley Cups. If not, at least one Stanley Cup. I mean, if what's his name? You said, uh, Cam, Ante- you said Cam Ward was the worst to win a Stanley Cup. I, and, I, and when I said that, I forgot about Antti Niemi. 
Auntie Niemi takes the cake probably as the worst goalie to win a cup because Chicago traded him the next day. Like, <laughs> like they literally, they were still, he hadn't even gone to bed and he was no longer a Stan, like a member of the Stanley Cup winning team. Like they were like, you need to go yesterday. You're closer to this Edmonton, or not this Edmonton team, this Winnipeg team. Well, you're closer to Edmonton too, but um, I kind of like him. Prove me wrong. Well, I mean, Winnipeg fell out of favor with the Mark Shifley incident, but regardless, um, it'll be back, and we'll forget about it before long. We, I know that's the problem. That's the problem. We will forget. Um, but hey, I think Winnipeg's a consistent playoff team. It's interesting because they were a team that was making bad decisions and wasn't making improvements until all of a sudden they kind of stopped making the, the mistakes. Like they weren't doing things to win, but they weren't making the same mistakes. When Kyle Connor and Patrick Line both came due for deals, I had said even a couple of years before that, and people thought I was crazy anywhere I went. The same guy, the it's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. That guy. That's fucking sick. That's so sick. So How sick. Is that? sick. So sick. How sick, man. So sick. Um, he, uh, he told me I was insane and that I should never repeat out loud in public as, as something I'd said way back in their rookie years. I said Kyle Connor's a better hockey player than Patrick Line. And when it's all said and done, Pat, Kyle Connor will prove that he's far more valuable to the Jets than Patrick Lanny ever could be. And he ridiculed me so bad. He's like, man, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is, this is the guy saying that so sick. And he looks at me and he's like, man, that's the dumbest thing. Like, don't ever say that. Like we were at, we were, we were literally at the office and he's like, man, I hope nobody heard you say that. Like, <laughs> that's how, that's how upset I am for you. And he wasn't joking around. Like he was just like, he thought legitimately I must've had a stroke or something. And I mean, fast forward, I had long said Kyle Connor gets whatever it was. The first number is the next number after Patrick line. If line signs for five point something, Connor's getting six point something. If line gets six point something, Connor's getting seven point something. That's just the way it's going to work. And they both held out. They both, it was like to the last second, the deals got done and it fell exactly where it should. Whatever number line I got, Patrick um, Connor got the next one. Um, I think it's interesting that they ended up trading the second overall pick for the third overall pick. I had forgotten that that was how close in the draft uh, Dubois and line were. Right. <clears throat> um, I think when you look at that, um, Winnipeg has definitely upgraded their second position, um, their center position. Um, I think when you look at the top three that they have in terms of Shifley, Dubois, and Lowry, um, again, things are one up the middle. Winnipeg's one or two moves away. Again, it's a weird situation. They're arguably one or two moves away from winning the West, but I don't know that that puts them one or two moves away from winning the Cup. Um, especially if some of those teams that I say are one or two moves away from potentially dethroning Tampa, they make those ne the necessary moves that they need to make. Yeah, Winnipeg could be playing them in the cup final to lose in five games kind of thing. Well, it's nice um, to get there, though. <laughs> right, and I think that's where Winnipeg is kind of at. I think there are still some teams that are significantly ahead of them, and in terms of, you know, if they're one or two moves away, they're one or two moves. 
put them in a different strat, you know, a, a very different elevation than where Winnipeg's at. Um, but Winnipeg, interestingly enough, in my opinion, um, with what they have, um, and with hopefully the steps that some of their players have taken, Logan Stanley needs, you know, he needs take a couple of steps. Um, if he develops the way he should, he could again be one of those dominating big defensemen in the league. Um, but again, Winnipeg's found themselves in some weird spots. Uh, but yeah, I think with w- the way the Western Conference has kind of drawn itself out um, with Colorado's habit of choking in the second round, <laughs> Winnipeg could be in an interesting situation where, yeah, you know, it, it's hard to imagine Winnipeg beating Colorado in the playoffs, but if it's in the second round, it could happen. And more importantly, it could be a situation where, again, it's because of the puck control. Um, I think that's a big thing, and it goes understated. W- Pittsburgh wasn't a cup contender and wasn't winning cups until F- Sidney Crosby could win faceoffs. Like, lest we forget, you know, they were do- Sidney Crosby was doing remarkable things without being able to win a faceoff. Well, that's the thing. You look at this, you know, if we end up getting five and three, five from the central, that yeah. – that wild card one, the team that gets to skip out on playing Colorado in the first round, may yeah. they, may they have a chance to beat Vegas and go the go the back way against right and meet Colorado in the final, right? And I mean, and that's where and that to me is what about where a team like Minnesota. Of, Minnesota gives the Vegas fits, right? And I think that's where it could be interesting as well. I think the Jets of today, for instance, if they found themselves in one of those wild card spots going up against the Vegas and getting that road up, uh, again, that could be the situation that Winnipeg needs to find themselves in in order to make the cup final. Or what if they don't, or what if Vegas doesn't, you know, injuries, what if Vegas doesn't win the Pacific and right. you get, you know, you get Winnipeg to face Edmonton. I mean, we yeah. all saw what happened in the, uh, Right in the in the North Division last year. I mean, exactly. Or I mean, we get a situation again. Maybe they get Seattle, and and the same thing happens to Grubauer that always happens. <laughs> it's true. The clock it's strike the the clock strikes midnight before he gets going. Um, these are all things that could happen that aren't out of the realm of possibility. Uh, again, I I think you find yourself in an interesting situation here where the there's only certain teams that have the right grouping to be cup winners um, in the West. And unless those teams get through, it's a situation where the Western winner could be playing for second place. It's true. All right, let's uh, wrap it up here. Got a couple more teams left on the docket here. I want to talk about that Minnesota. They got their guy, Kirill Kaprizov. Got him to a five-year deal, nine million. They made the playoffs last year, in and um, gave everything they had to Vegas. Uh, we're looking at effectively the same team here. It all goes with Cam Talbot. You saw him in that seven-game series look like just the White Knight, and then you also saw him look like the Black Sheep uh, throughout seven games. There, it all really kind of goes with him. I think they got a good enough team again to be one of those fringe. You know, wild card one, wild card two, maybe even the third seed in the central. I think that they can do things like that. I, I like their team. They're scrappy. I mean, overall, minus Matt Zuccarello, they're a young team. And right. they got rid of the guys who just they had to trot out there. The stall, the, the what do you call them? The stalwarts. Ryan right. Suter and Zach Parise kind of turned over a new leaf with that, even though you're 
paying him for the next however many years. But I, uh, I think this team gets in the playoffs uh, as well as provided obviously they stay healthy. And uh, and then we look at uh, we look at Colorado. I mean, like you said, we can put them in in blood. Darcy Kemper, notwithstanding, I think this team is like in, is like Vegas in a way. They're going to make the playoffs now. Can they win the, the Central with their eyes closed? I don't think so. I think they've got work to do. Right. They got they got the big three back. They got them all signed. Everything's good. But uh, below that, I mean, I think you, losing Donskoy was big. Andre Burakowski's kind of coming into his own here at this point, but Nazem Kadri is another year older and another year dumber, <laughs> in my opinion. Right. Um, Kel is getting better, uh, but you lost Ryan Graves for what that's worth. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're good. They just don't seem as menacing, and maybe that's because of playoff lack of success. They just don't seem as menacing going into this year. Yeah. Um... It's an interesting thing, especially when you start talking, when you look at a team like a Minnesota. Minnesota's had a weird thing where, yeah, I mean, we talked, you, you talked about Cam Talbot, rewind a few years ago to Devin Dubnik. Minnesota's been a, a team that has underperformed when they had chances to win. Um, I mean, especially there was some times there where Devin Dubnik was arguably kind of going in under the radar as the best goalie in the Western Conference. You know, where if Minnesota just tightened up their game a little bit, they probably could have rode Dubnik to much um, better Greater success. Right. Um, and it could be a situation here with Cam Talbot, um, who I believe, again, wasn't he let go by the Edmonton Oilers? Like, isn't that where they got him or Calgary? One of those two teams. Both, I think. <laughs> right. And two teams that arguably have number one goalies that are not as good as Cam Talbot. Um, I, I think it's funny. Um, and let's say it is Edmonton. Um, two goalies that Edmonton has let go of are better than the two goalies they currently have. Um, and it's not like Edmonton had a bottleneck in net, right? Like Winnipeg's situation that they found themselves into dated all the way back to when they first moved to Winnipeg um, and Andre Pavlik was their goalie. We had a, in a, a huge logjam in our net. Um, we, had, we had Pavlik, Hutchinson, um, Mason, um, and that was just at the NHL level. And then the, at the AHL level, we still had um, Hellebuck and Comrie. And then behind them, we ended up, I think it was a guy named, I want to say his name was like Jamie Phillips or something like that. Um, and then Mikhail Burdine now. Like we've had this log jam of goalies where it's like, yeah, it sucks to have let this one go. It sucks to have let that one go. Edmonton didn't have that. Um, and they let, I guess Minnesota be the beneficiary of that. Calgary didn't have that, um, and yet decided they needed to have a bona fide number one, whether it was Markstrom or not. Minnesota's in a position here where, again, they might be sliding in under the radar because nobody expects them to do well. At the same time, this might also be their window to do the best that they could do, given how sensitive it is in net. It's tough to have goalies that are capable of making cup runs. Like I think that's the biggest thing to remember too. It's tough to have a bona fide number one goalie that can play number one game, um, that can put up number one goalie numbers in the regular season and do what they need to do to get you into the playoffs. But then again, now they need to step it up that much more and do that in the playoffs. And, and as we've seen, it's a tough thing to do. And I think that's why you kind of 
oftentimes see the same teams doing it. I think that's why you see the same play. You know, that's it's the same. Why you see the same dancers at the dance? It's it is what it is. Um, because these are just they're the teams that have those couple of pieces that are capable of getting it done. Whether I believe in them or not, Vasilevsky's still finding himself in Cup finals. <laughs> like you know, I can say whatever the fuck I want about him. When was the last time my boy Gibson played a third round in the play a game in the third round of the playoffs? Sure. You know. Uh, up until this past year, when was the when was the last time Carey Price had a win in the third round of the playoffs? You know, all of these things considered, it, it's an you know sometimes yeah you might be flying in on the radar yeah you might be a wild card team and this and that fuck it this you got to be honest with yourself this actually might just be your best shot at getting it done whether you're a wild card team or not that's just your road. Well, the last team in this division before we give our predictions is is another team I think is definitely I would be shocked if I find them on the outside looking in, and that's that's St. Louis here. I mean, you look up and down this roster on offense and defense, again, it all goes really with Bennington here. I mean, he's been Jekyll and Hyde for the last three years, but God, they have a good roster, and they added to it with Buchanavich. I know that uh, you know the, the, the Jaden Schwartz losing him might be right. big. I know he was kind of a, a heart and soul of this team a little bit, but I think I think Ryan O'Reilly's taken that over, and I think eventually Vladimir Tarasenko will fall back into the good graces of the city and of the organization. And I would be shocked again. I would be shocked if this team does not make the playoffs. Right. Yeah, it would be an interesting one. I, I, I'd be shocked too. Um, to be perfectly honest, to me, it's one of those things where. I also kind of think St. Louis is one of those is is one of those teams that I was taught alluding to earlier that has that right combination of players and chemistry and style and coaching that they could be a winner if they won the Western Conference. Um, them in Colorado to me are the two that jump out. That if they can get through the Western playoffs, are the ones that yeah okay it's, it's probably their cup to lose. Or at least they could they could compete with some of those top Eastern Conference teams, whether it be Tampa, whether it be one of those other ones um, that could really win. When I say like a team like Winnipeg, again, for Winnipeg to not just get through the Western Conference, which I think they could potentially, there are roads for them to do it. Winnipeg needs things to go right on the Eastern Conference side for them to have a shot at winning a cup. Um, St. Louis to me is one of those teams that things don't necessarily need to go right. They could get to the show and win. That's a fair assessment. Yeah, I think uh, I think we got a lot to, do, to to break down and dissect here as the season goes along because, like I said, you know we have a Central which is like a Metro in our opinions, right. and we have a Pacific which feels like an Atlantic. Right. And, although I think the Atlantic has more top tier teams than the Pacific does. Right. All right, so let's do the playoffs here. Who do we predict is going to advance out of these divisions in the regular season? We'll start with the Pacific Sun. Um, I think the ones we could lock in, if we're going to lock in three, for instance, I do see it being a situation where I'm going to go ahead and say that it's going to be Vegas, Seattle, and Vancouver. Those would be my three that if I had to pencil in three, because I mean, it's it's tough to say that they're going to get one wild card or two. So to say that they have teams that's like, ooh, these two are better than the than the non three. They're definitely not getting two. 
I think they're getting one or none. Right. And if they're going to get one, I think it's a, it's one of Edmonton or Calgary, to be perfectly honest, because to, for it to be any of the other teams, I truly believe, again, I'm going to have to go back to my boy Gibson in Anaheim and he's got to put up like all time numbers for Anaheim to have a shot. If Anaheim like, makes the playoffs. Gibson's got to be a Vesna. I just, I, it's, I don't even think it's a combination competition. I think for Anna, if Anaheim makes the playoffs and they do it with John Gibson and net, I don't even think they need to even announce finalists. I think it, it would just be like, yeah, here you go, bud. Like we know. You, yeah, here it is. Like right. you did it. Um, and if there's any goalie, I think has the, the ability to do it. It's probably him. But again, no, it's to me, it's if it's, if it's four teams, Again, the three that I think get the three kind of divisional spots, it's it's Vegas, Seattle, Vancouver, and I think the wild card is one of Calgary or Edmonton. Yeah, I think uh, I think the Pacific gets four, which is crazy because that's going to leave such a crazy mess in the Central. Right. But I think it is. I think it's in no particular order here. I think it's Vegas, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Seattle. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. If yeah, I had I to, if I had to leave one out, I think it. I think it's Edmonton. Right. I, I I'm in the same boat. I I I don't know where I feel about Edmonton's goaltending situation. I don't think they're as solid and as evenly distributed of a lineup as Vancouver. Um, I just think you get you get two guys getting a hundred points, and if Zach Hyman can get you sixty to eighty, I gotta think you're winning enough games there. True. Could be. So I, I'll say they get four, which again, but again leaves the crazy mixed up bag of the central. But the the thing is this, McDavid, if he's getting you 100 points, he might not be getting you 100 points across 82 games. McDavid might put up 130 points, but is only putting up those 130 points in 62 games and is absent for 20. Like I, that to me is the problem. I can't with say it. I can't. That to me is the problem with Edmonton a little bit. But even if he's is, absent for twenty, Drysaddle's Drysaddle's present for those. I'm not, what I'm saying, yeah, true enough. But I again, I don't know that Drysaddle is Drysaddle without McDavid. I don't think you're putting Drysaddle on uh, Columbus, and he's putting up Drysaddle numbers. I can tell you that much. McDavid, you can put him anywhere, and he's putting up McDavid numbers. Well, there that's few, the difference. There was a, a majority of games last year where they weren't even on the same line. So I don't know. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, like I said, I think. <laughs> I think they'll sneak in, make that the four. The thing is, if the Pacific can get four teams, that yes. makes that makes the Central nuts. It does. So, what do you got in the Central as we wrap up here? Uh, as we go, for me in the Central, I, there's four teams I'm willing to lock in as playoff teams. I'm willing to lock in St. Louis, Colorado, Dallas, and Winnipeg. I think there are other teams that'll fight and fight hard, and thus make it difficult for like an Edmonton to come in or. I mean, maybe even Vancouver, but um, I think that will make it tough for the Pacific to get a fourth team. Um, but I, hmm. I, for me, I'm more willing to lock in four from the Central. And that's why, to me, it's hard to say, oh, which four from the Pacific? Because I'm like, I got four from the Central. For um, sure. Right. And, that, and, and then to me, that makes it tough coming into the Pacific. And I got four from the Central as well. We're, we're pretty close. We're 75% on the same page. I have Colorado. I have yeah. St. Louis. I have Winnipeg. I actually have the Minnesota Wild. 
my, oh. my fourth team in there. But again, we have the three. I think we have, I think we have three. I think we have Colorado, St. Louis, and, and Winnipeg. They're the three best teams. I agree. Fully healthy. And again, it's going to take at best two out of these three, Minnesota, Chicago, and Dallas, to make the final playoff spots. Thank you, Nashville. Thank you, Arizona. We'll see you next year. <laughs> uh, yes, and I agree. And I think like Nashville's, Nashville's one of those teams, too, where they're in danger of overachieving and then thus denying the inevitable, that they need to make some moves and make them soon. Um, again, how do you move a Matt Duchesne? How do you move a Ryan Johansson? Like, those are so, you can you know, move those, Philip Forsberg. You could move Philip Forsberg. I mean, now if UC Soros doesn't pan out with the money he's getting, where the fuck do you move him? Um, maybe, maybe that's. I mean, the thing is this it's tough to say you move him because who are you moving him to that's going to want him? Like, if he's not panning You're gonna out. You're going to have to eat some money. You're going to have to eat some money. He's a capable yeah. backup, I think. I agree. I think he. I think he was an elite backup behind Pecorine. But I think Nashville's going to see the difference. That like, oh snap! Just because Pecorine might not be NHL number one caliber anymore, doesn't make UC Soros. UC had some good games. Though. I will say this. I, I bet Edmonton would take UC Soros right now. That's a. T- that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. I'd say I would take him over whoever their backup is. I can't remember his name right now. Isn't it Miko Koskinen? That's it. Or, or take, Mike Smith, depending on who, what day it is. Yeah, I would take him over Koskinen. Isn't Koskinen, was it Koskinen who let in five goals on four shots? Like, um, <laughs> what, Against Winnipeg? It was something, wasn't it? I, I know there was a video that was going around, and it was like the worst NHL performance in history. And it was like that a negative save percentage because they let in a goal that wasn't even a shot. Um, and uh, yeah, like when it comes to that, yeah, I would take Saros and Ned over Koskinen. To me, he's in a similar boat as Mike Smith. It's what can they bring on their best days? I think they're about even still. That's the crazy thing. I think Smith might still have some great days left in him. Mike Smith, though, believes his own hype a little bit too much these days, though. Like, I noticed he got a little too adventurous playing the puck. And he talks about his puck-playing prowess. The best puck-handling goalie in the NHL is probably Carey Price. And the best thing is, he doesn't play the puck that often. You just get it out. Like Carey Price, what makes Carey Price so dangerous as a puck playing goalie is because of how good he is at playing the puck and that he doesn't do it. That he's like, wait a second, I am the best in the game at doing this. And I, even I stay in the net. Like, even I know this is what pays the bills. Like, that's fair. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, it's not like a Marty Brodeur or Marty Turco even back in the day where like that's, they were a sixth, they were a third defenseman. Like, Marty Broder was a third defenseman for the New Jersey Devils power play. Like, people forgot that. Um, you know, he was, he, was a, he was a third defenseman on their penalty kill. Like, these were all things that were utilized. Dallas, a big reason why they were willing to let go of Ed Belfour was because they were like, wait a second, we do have another number one goalie here, Marty Turco, and he's a, basically an upgrade over you. He's more athletic. Um, he's younger. And he has a skill that you don't have. Um, 
again, it, it's interesting because, yeah, Mike Smith comes out and plays the puck, and he plays badly. He has a lot of costly turnovers. and, and But he's the first one to talk about, oh, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting playing with McDavid, and it'll be the first time McDavid's gotten to play with a goalie who can play the puck. And you're like, he McDavid doesn't play on Montreal. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> um you know, I think that that kind of becomes the situation. So I don't know. It's a, that's an interesting one where, yeah, I'm sure Edmonton might wouldn't be too disappointed having sorrows, but doesn't just, ma- really I, make everything better for that. I just can't feel like Edmonton feels comfortable with all of this talent front loaded and say they're cup contenders when they're going into the season with Mike Smith and and, and Koskinen. Just you can't do it. You can't look somebody in the eye and say. Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith are going to get us a cup. Right. That might be the worst goalie to ever win a cup, whichever one has decided to be the starter, if they can get a cup out of this. Well, that's a weird one, though, because Mike Smith had good days. Had. He's 39 now. He had good days. Meaning, I don't know. What's that worth? I mean, Arizona Mike Smith is not the one winning the cup right now. If they were Right, but Arizona Mike Smith existed. Like, anti-Niemi never was... Like, how he had a cup, I don't know. How Chicago won a cup with him as their goalie, I still don't know. Um, How, I mean, uh, Detroit arguably rewrote history by not winning back-to-back cups against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, I think, could have been a very different team if they had gotten to -to back-to-back cups to lose to the same team twice and Marc-Andre Fleury be that goalie. Marc-Andre Fleury's career could have been a lot different. And I think Pittsburgh and all of those players' careers could have been a lot different had Detroit not fucked up. Well, what if, like, Toronto wins the Cup this year? I mean, is Peter Morazic the worst goalie ever to win the Cup? Oh, that's an interesting one. That's I'll have to save that for another podcast. Let's go ahead and wrap up our Western Conference. <laughs> preview show here. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We got a great NHL season. We finally get the regular, regular season, not this you know, north, east, west, and central. <laughs> we get the right, we get the old NHL back, and I I got to tell you, I feel really great about it because you know Colorado doesn't get to come in and sneak a division title from Vegas like they did last year based on our own views. That was such a weird one. Yes. That was such a weird one. So, all right. Well, we appreciate it, guys. Thank you again so much for listening. I want to thank our sponsors, Eden's Herbals. If you want to support them, head over to our link tree, which is located at our Twitter and our Instagram at uh, TUS Hockey Pod. Click the Eden's Herbals link, and when you're shopping, get 15% off your entire order when you use the promo code TUS Pod. Once again, TUS Pod gets you 15% off of your entire order at Eden's Herbals. Tell them the guys at the Unhealthy Scratch Podcast sent you. Uh, I do want to, uh, the first thing when we all three are back on, I know it'll probably be in the NHL season because the WSOP is going on here in Vegas and I'm going to be very busy. So not hundred percent sure when our next podcast is going to be, but I do want to tweet out who do you think, don't tell me now, but I'm going to tweet out who do you spike and myself think is going to take the cup down here in 2021 and 22. So be on the lookout for that on our Twitter and our Instagram at TUS hockey pod for Sunny. For the ghost of Spike, I am Aaron. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will catch you on the next one, whenever that one might be.